Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Ears International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. We're so excited about tonight because <clears throat> now that we've changed the format, now there's every month there's one night of discipleship, right? So like Missy said, it all just kind of gets bottled up in there and pressurized and everything, and we get even more fired up than we normally are. And it's like, and then kind of the the thought process in our minds is that we're just going to let it fly. And you got one night a month <laughs> to just grab it. I'll be like, right? <laughs> I mean, we're normally pretty fired up, but we got like, we just got to let you have it. Okay. <laughs> and we get so excited and passionate about just God's divine will and his purpose, right? Because if you think about it, what else is there? Really, what else is there? Isaiah 59, in Isaiah 59, it says, when the enemy comes in, mm-hmm. right? When, when, when? And most transla- most translations say, when the enemy comes in like a flood, comma. Just so you guys know, there's no commas. That was a man-made thing. So it's when the enemy comes in, Pause. Come on, like how- a flood, he will raise a standard. But come on, how many of us can relate when the enemy comes in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't even got to be saved. You just know you're getting robbed. You're getting stolen from. You're getting beat up. You're getting, you know, you're getting whatever. You're getting messed around, pushed around oppressed, depressed, whatever. You don't even have to be saved, right? You don't got to be saved to relate to when the enemy comes in, right? And, and like she said, like a flood, the spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. What's the standard? What's the standard? Uh-huh. This right here is the standard. This right here. But the word became flesh. I'm the standard. So there's a, there's a critical thing happening here because God said it's time to get loud, right? It's the decade of the mouth. It's time to speak what you have seen, okay? And we've gone through this process of, of being confident in the identity that God called us to, right? Romans 8, the spirit of adoption, family, kingdom family, all these things that we always talk about. In the last decade, God has been building our confidence and our identity. He's been refining it. He's been molding it for the past 10 years to the point to where it's like it's the it's the message that we're carrying. And we're so bold about it that when it says when the enemy comes in, just like she said, she's sitting with coworkers and having to call the police because one threatened suicide and she didn't show up when the enemy comes in. Like a flood, he will raise a standard against him. And what is the standard? What is on this banner? If you could simplify it down to one or two words. I know that's kind of a trick question because there's a lot of things you could simplify it down to. But we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to serve you some courses like Tyler said. And we're going to talk about what is the gospel and what what is the standard? What is the word that is written on the banner that is raised up against the enemy? It's family. 
It's family. And it's so simple. And for 10 years, we've had to try to, we've had to try to get the, get it in, you know, Hey, what about family? Let's do family. You have to try to slide it in there. And now God is saying, no, family is the answer. Family is the standard that I'm raising up like a flood. I want to tell you tonight that family is the standard, which means you measure everything else up against family. I'm talking about true family, kingdom, family, the gospel. I'm talking about the standard, the banner that's waving when the enemy comes in. Picture the enemy coming in and God's at the base of the flagpole, raising the standard up. Family. He's raising it up to where everybody can see it. And that looks like this body of people coming together and actually pressing through like family, according to the standard. So when the enemy comes in, guess what? You've got a standard that you reconcile everything against. Reconciliation comes by the standard. You measure everything against the standard. And we're going to talk about in the scriptures, if you guys have your word, I want you to turn to Genesis 1. We're going to look at verses 26 through 28. And it's just so funny to me. It's so simple and so profound how it's just, it's intertwined throughout all of scripture family from the very beginning. Genesis 1. 26, then God said, let us make man, let us, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, it's interesting, let us make man and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. So before man, before them, male and female was even created, God's intent, listen to this, God was sitting there with Yeshua and the Holy Spirit, and they were saying, let us make man in our image to have dominion. And so before he even created male and female, his intent was for them to reflect and have dominion. God's intent before he even created any humans, any male or females, was they are going to reflect our image and they are going to have dominion. That was his intent before he even created Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We're going to fill the earth and we're going to subdue it. That's what he said. That's what he meant covenant and family. That's what he created it for. That's what he created family for. The oldest institution, the holiest institution, and the most authoritative. Before... After his creation, he said, we need to create something that's going to reflect our image and have dominion over everything else we created. That's family in the very beginning. Now think about this. Think about the the Ten Commandments. The first four is how we relate to our father. Okay. The other six is how you relate to humanity. Three of those latter six are concerning family. Now consider who wrote the who wrote the Ten Commandments? Moses. Think about the context of this. 
And then AT is gonna gonna serve you this kind of just an appetizer. She's gonna serve you another another little appetizer, some tapas. Okay. (laughs) But think about this: Moses was called as a father to bring people out of bondage, out of Egypt, out of slavery. Okay, so you have a father escorting the nation of Israel out of bondage. And when God did that, he equipped him with 10 commandments concerning family, concerning how we relate to the father and concerning how we relate to one another in covenant. And he, he armed Moses with that because out of slavery, he was regulating family. He was already preparing Moses for what he knew was coming. So he didn't just bring people out of bondage. He utilized a father with commandments concerning families so that when they came out of slavery, when they came out of bondage, they were already equipped with guidelines on how to operate in family. The fifth commandment says, honor thy father and mother. And it goes on in the next verse to talk about, because if you do that, how you will how you will have dominion in the land that he promised to you. Think about that. Think about that in the context of just of, of how God has prepared us, what he's postured us, what he's called us to do in expressing the spirit of adoption. Think about that. He says, honor a father and a mother, because then you're going to operate at another level of dominion when you obey my command and you're going to you're going to have dominion in the land that I promised to you. Yeah. Honor your mother and your father because then you're going to benefit by the commanded blessings when you do that in the land that I promised to you. Seven, do not commit adultery. Now we can skate over this and think of it in simple terms that, well, you know, I'm not married, so that doesn't apply to me. Right. We could be thinking that or maybe you're young and you're like, well, I'm not just not at that age. So that doesn't really apply to me. But when you enter into a covenant with the father, you can commit adultery. Right. You can be single and commit adultery. Because in the in the context of the of the history at that time, you have to understand the context that a father was given commandments to regulate family, to create a, a family structure and a network that not only were they. Uh, sent out of slavery, but they actually get delivered into family. It's not enough to just get sent out of bondage and out of slavery. You got to get delivered into a structure of family or else guess what's going to happen. You're just going to be, you're just going to go back. Yep. 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 Come on. So what God did was he, yeah. he's so, he's so good that he said, I'm going to establish a father who's going to protect new birth yeah. and I'm going to give him a structure of family yep. to not only deliver them out of Egypt, but receive them into a structure of family as well. Yeah. Come on. Genesis yeah. laid it out. Genesis laid out the creation. Exodus laid out when things got all screwed up, God laid out Exodus and a father with some commandments about family. Come on, we can't, it's not enough anymore to just pray with somebody and pray the the prayer, however you say it and say, yeah, accept Jesus and hallelujah. And I'm just never going to talk to you again. Check, check it off on the thing. How many cash marks do I have? 
Maybe they you they got just got delivered out of Egypt, yeah. but God wants fathers and mothers with some commanded blessings ready to go to say, I'm going to accept you into a family structure and you can be founded and stand upon the rock of family. Come on, everybody in your own way. I'm not saying you got to be all crazy like I am right now, but you better be fired up. You better be fired up about this. Come on. Jesus had to be fired up to, oh, we're going to get to, he had to be fired up to be on a cross and say, it's finished. Oh, wait, oh. The context of that time, Moses wasn't just saying just to married people, don't cheat on your husband, don't cheat on your wife. With that commandment, the father was, it was arming Moses with something that was breaking the cultural tradition of polygamy, the culture of just marry as many people as you want, do whatever you want. He was dealing with a culture when he gave that commandment to that father. He was basically saying that family operates this way. Family has boundaries. Family is outside of the context of how you operate in Egypt. You shall not covet. <laughs> it's concerning family. It's you shouldn't you shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife, his cattle. You shouldn't you shouldn't do all that. There's boundaries. Moses, it wasn't just you can't think of it just in my I I can't be in this union and covet another man's wife. It's not just about that. God was dealing, he was using Moses to deal with a culture. It was a whole culture shift. He was providing a framework of resurrection life as opposed to what was dead. We're going to, Apostle Tanya is going to continue to just lay some some framework and some groundwork. And we're going to get back to, because what we want to do is just kind of in a way, just put it, put a, just put an end. How can I describe this? It's like when you, when you got kids and you know who they are, but they battle with who they are. You know who they are, but they struggle with it. You can see what they're called to be, but they they just, they're battling. They don't know. And I feel like we're coming into this place where you, you've been bullied long enough. The bully has messed with us long enough. The enemy has come in long enough. And God is saying, here is the standard and it's family. And it's like punching that bully in the face. When I was young, when I was in middle school, there was a bully that used to kick kick my feet out from under me, trip me all the time. I was little. I, I was like Sean. Huh? I didn't know this. What's his name? <laughs> What's his name? I, and now, listen, I remember his name. Trinidad Martinez. Trini, come on. <laughs> he had a little tail and everything. It, Him, listen, this is crazy. Antoinette, What'd she say? Antoinette, she goes, that was my cousin. <laughs> that was my cousin. 
No, but listen, this this is this is what it is. This is what I feel like. It was Trinidad Martinez and a dude named Travis Williams. It's crazy that this is just come coming back out of nowhere. <laughs> and I'd be walking to class and they they kick my feet out. I hated that. And I would battle with that. And I wouldn't, I would just get up and I wouldn't do anything. kind of crazy. It seems kind of silly. I'm getting emotional about this, but I'm, con- I'm connected in a place to where God is saying, this is what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, I, so, so I got so fed up and I was, I was, I was frustrated just like, I mean, I'm not frustrated, but I was, I was talking to my dad. I was telling him what was going on. He said, listen, the next time he does that, he said, look, you have my permission. Come on. Come on. You get up and you punch him right Come in on. his face. Yes. I was like, what? He's <laughs> like, what? Wait, you could do that? And listen, he said, even if you get in trouble, yep. he said, I don't care. I'll back you up. Yep. I'll come pick you up. So the next time. They're going to be here on Thanksgiving. <laughs> So, so I was waiting for it and they sure enough, like every other day, they tripped me and I got, I didn't even know who it was. I got up and I just punched, I knocked his tooth out. I punched him right in the mouth and he was, Oh, what are you doing? And I was like, my dad, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I socked him up and I was kind of like, Ooh, sure enough, we get called to the office. You can't be fighting. I get in trouble. I get suspended. My dad comes, picks me up. Yes, you know, okay. Took me to McDonald's afterwards. Like, <laughs> but guess what? That that we were friends after that. That kid never, he never, yeah. never yeah. tried to do that again. Because I got to a place with my father's permission when he said, when this, when the enemy comes in, like a flood, I want you to raise up a standard against him. And that's what God's doing right now to the point where we got to own family. We got to be bold about family. And it's not just hanging out. It is that. It's not just hanging out. But it's also, we're being called to be, to be a banner and a standard that's being raised up to confront the evil, the darkness. Your, Antoinette, your name is written on the banner. Your face is on it. And, and after, AT, after AT lays out some more framework, we're going to get into what is critical and what is central to that banner and what it means to be a disciple and a follower and what it means to be the standard that's being raised up. Amen? Yeah. Woo. Trying to figure how I'm gonna try to figure out how I'm gonna break this down. So it's it's an easy thing to say family. I feel like you got like the yeah, and then I come in and I'm about to tear everything down <laughs> so that we can build it back up, right? Because uh, I I, I want to read this. Uh, I'm gonna read a few things. I don't know if I'm gonna go out of order. I promise this is all gonna come around because this is just so good. Um. Matthew 16, 18. 
and I'm going to read it out of here. Because he's talking about a standard. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? We know that scripture. I want to break this down just a little bit. Before that scripture, his name was Simon. We know this, right? Okay. After that, his name changes to Peter. Then he makes a bold statement that on the, on, you are now called Peter, and on that, I'm going to build my, you guys know that the word got switched. The normal translation is church, but that is not the word that was used. It was ecclesia. Okay, so we've, you have to you have to kind of understand a couple things. So I want to just point this out. This is kind of like the overarching thing of what I'm going to get at, and then we're going to break down some things. So first of all, his name was changed to Peter. It was Simon. His name, and you guys, I need you guys to remember this and to catch it because I'm going to go into some stuff in the gospel that you're going. It's going to come together what he was really saying. So Simon is going from a heard place and obeying and receiving revelation and out of that receiving revelation that didn't come by earth it came by revelation who the father is allowed him to become the rock i'm gonna break this down but this is the overarching thing that ultimately what jesus is saying is that now that you understanding who you are hearing and obeying and shifting into a supernatural revelation of who I am, basically what I'm gathering from that is that Simon caught who Jesus was by revelation by a father in heaven, not by flesh and blood. Now you guys got to catch this because it is not by flesh and blood that the revelation came, but it was out of the spirit that then he said the standard is going to be raised in that revelation. Okay? So that's kind of the overarching thing. So we're going to break, we're going to break this down a little bit. You guys okay? Sorry, my, I think my, it's my hair. I'm assuming it's my hair. So tonight I have titled it Blood Versus Blood. I'm super excited. Everything he talked about is pointing out that the Old Testament honored very highly family. Right? We just heard that. Think about it in the context when you have been reading the, 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 Old, the Old Testament. How many times do you trip up over lineage? The book of the generations and it's chapter after chapter after chapter to basically describe the bloodline of whatever it is that you're reading, right? So there's a real honor in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, basically the just the word lineage itself happens, I think, um, I did write it down 36 times, two thirds of the time, it's all in the Old Testament. The other third is only speaking about Jesus. So we're, I'm going to get into this. All right. But think about it's in Ezra, Genesis, Numbers, First and Second Chronicles, all figures that are spoken about, even Esther, that doesn't necessarily go through a whole line. It does speak about Esther and describes where she came from, who she came from, who her uncle was, who the uncle came from, who the dad was, who the son was, who the nephew was. I mean, it just goes and goes and goes. It is all about bloodline. Why? Because in the Old Testament, it is by your blood that allows you to be a priest. Okay? There is a high honor. Honor your mother and father. There is a high honor on where did the bloodline come from, right? That's all in the Old Testament. Yes? 
You guys know that? You guys have read that. What I found so powerful is if you move into the New Testament, I feel like in my brain, like my light bulbs just go off. I, it, I, this is a simple foundational thing, but we've got to catch this when he says we've got to carry the answer, okay? Because the only time lineage is spoken is about Jesus. There are two times, and it's in Matthew and Luke, that it describes the bloodline of Jesus. Then it ends. After that, you never hear about lineage again. So we hear about Jesus's lineage in Matthew and Luke, and it goes through the names of how he came about. And then after he came, it's finished. We've ne- we never hear about a lineage again. Okay. So this is what I mean by tearing down and building up because it's easy to say family is the answer, but not if you're stuck in the Old Testament trying to honor your bloodline because I'm about to introduce to you a new bloodline and I'm going to back it up with scripture why we're not crazy. Okay. All right. So I'm going to give you three scriptures. I'm going to give them to you first so you can write them down. It is Matthew 12, 46. You guys know that that trick when you're taking notes, write the numbers first because you'll always remember the book. Mark 3, 31. It took me forever to learn that. I'm like, what was the number? I'm always whispering to him, what is the number? And when I read that, I'm like, oh, so write down 331. You'll always remember that I said Mark. Don't worry about writing down Mark. Write 331, and then you'll remember Mark. All right, next one, Luke 8, 19. All right, I'm just going to read them because these are good. All right, Matthew 12, 46. Sometimes I want to always just read a little bit more. Okay, you, we've ministered on this before, but I just want to read these again because I want you guys to catch a couple things that are in there. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He's asking them a question. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now catch this. Attach it to Simon Peter. Whoever does the will. Simon went from heard and obey to being the rock. So he's basically pointing out the people that are near him. That's not my family anymore. This is my family because anybody who does the will of my father is my family. Okay, we're going to read another one. Mark 3.31. All right, this is just another, it's the same story, just from a different perspective. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God. He is my brother and my mother and my sister. All right, go to Luke. Luke 8, 19. All right. 
Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered that my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So again, you're going back to a scripture when he starts telling Peter that, Simon, your name has changed because you've gone from a place of hearing the revelation by the Father, not by flesh and blood. And because of that, you are now the rock that the, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So Jesus is basically proclaiming, no longer is that my family because my family are those who are like Simon Peter who are able to hear, obey, and be able to gain the revelation by the Spirit of the Father to be able to say, who is Jesus? Okay? Are you guys all right? Okay. So I want to point out a couple of things, and I'm trying to think if I, I, I think I do want to read these. Do we have time to read? You think we got time? Okay. So just in general, I want to just make the point that I don't want you guys just to take my word for it, but the lineage stops with Jesus and we never hear about it again. So let me just give an overarching picture before I go in and I read these scriptures. Who is the largest uh, figure in the New Testament? Well, Jesus is the gospel, but after Jesus leaves, who is the large? Paul. He has written the New Testament. He's in the New Testament. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. There's only four that kind of allude to his family. Kind of. Here's why. What they do say about Paul is that he was a killer of believers. And yet he's the greatest feature. He's the greatest uh, figure in the New Testament. Why? Because there's a purpose to the gospel. It ends with Jesus. Before, it was your blood that had to get you into the priesthood, and we're going to read it. But the New Testament says it's by his blood that gets you into the priesthood. So no longer am I concerned about your mother, your father, and your all that stuff. And it's not about your bloodline. It's about his line. That's why it's finished. So Paul is never spoken of from the, the lineage that he came from. There's a couple of things that allude to it, but his past is not this huge He actually was a complete mess. And by the spirit of revelation, he hears and does the word of God, and he becomes the greatest feature of the New Testament. Okay? But I do want to read a couple. So I have on here the believer killer. So uh, I'm going to just read a couple of these just so you guys can kind of see, because you guys all know the Old Testament, how it says the book of the descendants, and you guys know what I'm talking about, right? We don't need to read those. They're just all over. Well, I want you guys to, to read this about Paul. So in Galatians 1.15, I never hear you guys like turning pages. Am I like just old school? I don't know. There's just something about this flaky stuff daily. I don't know. I just, <laughs> all right. So Galatians 1.15. Anyways, it, But when he, but when, I'm just going to start from verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me, it's not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, 
uh, Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing there beyond many of my own age and among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's pretty much the only scripture that alludes to a, to a couple things. There's another one. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Maybe I can have some... Uh, read it because I've got a couple of them. Is anybody at 2 Corinthians 11.22? Oh, I got it here. All right, 2 Corinthians 11.22, and it says, what do you, uh, am I in the right place? Nope, I'm in 1 Corinthians, sorry. That's why you guys are like, we use our phone. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 11.22. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. Are you, they Hebrews, so am I. Are they Israelites, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham, so am I. Are they servants of Christ, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a man-man with far greater labors for more imprisonments. Basically, that scripture is just basically pointing out. Hebrew Israelite, he's like asking these questions. Again, it's not necessarily alluding to anything of where, where he's come from. So um, there's there's a couple more. So in Philippians, there, it's talking about it. And then in Acts, so it, the, the scripture is Philippians 3, 5, if you guys want to look it up. I guess I can just read it real quick. Philippians 3, 5. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. So he does say he's a Hebrew. He says that he was circumcised and he says where he was from. And then he also says he's from Pharisees. Okay. Other than that, the other scripture that someone alludes to his past is Acts 23, 12 through 22. It's a really cool scripture. It talks about his nephew was used to be able to help, uh, he was being, he was imprisoned and they were about to kill him and his nephew basically steps in and finds this out and is able to go in and tell the governor and and saves his uncle. So there is, uh, there is one story in all of the New Testament about a nephew that is by blood. My point in all of that is that the greatest character in the New Testament, there's no concern for his lineage. Because he said, because I believe that when Jesus said to Peter that this, that this is the rock, on this rock, my family, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. What is family then? Family is those sons and daughters, mothers, brothers, sisters that gain revelation, not by man, but by the spirit to know that they, that they have Jesus Christ as now their bloodline. Okay, so and then I'm, I don't necessarily need to get into it, but, you know, we've talked about this before where people are like, what's with all this mom and dad stuff? You have two books out of the gospel. That's Timothy. 
You guys know First and Second Timothy? Have anybody read First and Second Timothy? I'm not talking about in the old and in the context of have you read it to make sure you're a good leader and you've obeyed all the rules and all of a sudden it's all these laws of what you need to do and not do. Here's what I want you guys to gather out of First Timothy. Was it just me that read Timothy that way? You guys know my testimony. When I broke religion in my life, I couldn't read the New Testament for years. I had to stay with the red writing because to me, the New Testament felt like the law. All right, first scripture in Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by command of God, our savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith. So you've got Timothy who is honored once for being raised by Eunice and a grandmother, Lois. That's about it. There's no lineage for Timothy either. And he's a pastor of a whole church. It doesn't say he went to school. It doesn't say that he got ordained. It doesn't say that he had this crazy lineage. It's Timothy. And he has a spiritual father that grants him permission. That's what we're taught. That's the whole couple of books. It's watching a spiritual father guide a son into his destiny. That's two books out of the, out of the, the New Testament. So to me, this is just so plain as day. And it's interesting to me because the most resistance come when you say that the banner is family, that, that, that family is the answer. I remember years ago, uh, the, the motto was strong families build strong churches. And I remember in that moment getting a revelation from him where I said, no, I think strong churches build strong families. I don't know the families that I've seen that are independent, isolated, and traveling alone are not strong. They don't have any other perspective to be able to bounce off of. They're only subject to their what? Their lineage. But Jesus says it is not about your lineage. It's about my lineage. That's why it is said once his lineage and then it's finished. There is no more. Because the entire gospel, the entire New Testament continues to say over and over and over again. Would you have that scripture, Second Peter? Do you want to read it? Well, it's First Peter 2, 9. This is just one example. But this is all over the New Testament. And we can read it and somewhat, um, not overlook it, but we can read scriptures like this one and go, wow, that sounds great. Or Romans, by the spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Father. And we can read through those and go, oh, that sounds great. But in context to the Old and the New Testament, you really need to get a snapshot and understand what it is that's being said when it says by the spirit of adoption. Because by the spirit of adoption says, I lay down my bloodline and I accept his bloodline. No longer, religion says it's by your works, it's by your lineage, it's by who you've been, what you've done in order to get into the priesthood, but Jesus completely flips that. This is not to say that family's not important. This Jesus, it can feel like that when we're having to tear down our mindsets. Jesus isn't saying family's not important. He's saying it's so important. I just need you to think about it differently because it's not about your family. It's about my family, meaning Jesus is saying that. He was what? He didn't come to eradicate lineage. He didn't come to eradicate the law. He came to fulfill it. So it's the honor of the Old Testament on family is not a bad thing. It's an amazing thing because it helps us understand what Jesus really came for. So if you're reading the Old Testament like, wow, this is boring. I don't even understand it. You're missing a huge part of the gospel because when it says that Jesus came down this lineage, you're missing a whole aspect of being able to understand what he fulfilled when it says it's done. Right? I mean, how many of us in the Old Testament are like, nah, I don't even understand all that. And then we miss it because we don't then know, right? Everything that we taught, 
last month had to do with the feast. And the whole point of our teaching, what we hope to do, what we really feel inspired to do is to really bring an overview from old to, to present to what's to come. So when he's talking about Moses, Moses knew what was to come. It wasn't that Moses was just kind of like a, a platform. He knew what was coming. So he has these commandments to be able to release what's coming, to build a structure because Jesus was going to fulfill those things. So it's us being able to understand what he came for, right? Because he didn't eradicate lineage. He, he didn't say, now, never mind about that. He's just saying, I don't care about that because I am the lineage. Because all of the scriptures in the New Testament say, by the spirit of adoption, we have been what? Adopted into a family through him. So literally, if we say family, a lot of times we think, well, what does that mean? Could we be at a place where we could believe, hear, and obey, and catch by revelation that truly, because of Jesus, we are blood? I understand that in a service, it's super easy to say yes, but when you have to begin to walk it out and make that transfer from Simon to Peter, I'm not going to just hear it, but I'm going to obey it so that I can become the rock so that hell can't prevail against me. When you're in that position, it's because you fully have understood and adopt the, con not the concept, but the answer that when we say family is the answer, sometimes it can kind of feel family is the answer. It's the revelation that by the spirit of adoption, that through him, we truly become blood. So when I say blood versus blood, it's no longer any longer. It is not about my bloodline or my mom and dad or by my lineage, but it's that do I truly believe that that goes and I adopt his bloodline and his lineage and that is what I'm attached to. So there's, there's, uh, anyways, let me read that description. Wasn't that first Peter 2 9? Oh, all right. But you, I feel like you guys are going to read the New Testament and just be like, yes. Or is this like, did you guys like catch this revelation like years ago? And I'm just like, I mean, we've known this, but I just think it's so powerful to think about the lineage part of it. But okay, so two, uh, First Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why? Because you joined a church? Why? Because your mom and dad are cool? Because we follow our parents' traditions? No, because by the spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Father, and recognize that there is a Father in heaven that now binds us together by blood. I have heard so many times, blood is thicker than water. Sorry, there's no water here. If there's water, it's flowing out of my belly, and out of my belly flows living water. But the only way that water comes is if I'm pierced and there's blood. So it's his blood that was shed to be able to fulfill the answer, which is family. 
It's not. It was family before. It was family with Adam and Eve. It was family with Moses. It was family with Esther. It was family with Nehemiah. It was family the entire time. Awesome. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he said, now it is finished because through my bloodline, you will be able to receive the spirit of adoption like Peter that allows us to be family. So when Missy's up here saying, are we the answer? Sometimes we can get lost in the weeds and the logistics. And well, for example, if I could just be practical, what purpose do I have to come on a Friday night? What purpose do I have to go to Sunshine Rescue Mission and serve food? Do we truly believe that we're the answer? Not because it's something that we just talk about, but because we actually believe that by the spirit of adoption, we are bound by blood. Could the community see a group of people so passionate about the answer that he is the answer running through my veins that could transform and reform a region? That's why we say that family is the vehicle for reformation, not just because of the concept of family, but because he is the father of family, right? So when they're talking about like, well, do we believe it? There's some of this is simple, but some of this is having to punch things in the face because for 2000 years, we've been surround. Let me just say, not us. The world has been surrounded by church that says you are a Christian and you have Jesus flowing through your veins. If you fill out a card and you become a member and you show up on Sunday and you really don't have to communicate with anyone. Not to mention everybody gets loud when all of a sudden people feel like I don't, I'm, do you guys understand what I'm trying to say? It's like, we're quiet. I'm talking about like the, faithful community, the church community, we're super quiet, then something happens and all of a sudden we get loud because we feel like, well, when we get saved, now all of a sudden we have the answers. And so we're just here to judge everyone who doesn't, right? But the gospel is Paul. Where did we lose the gospel? So what I'm saying is, is this seems simple for us, but I feel like we're having, it's like a, we're having to like undo some things because, because of what has been, what has been surrounded, right? For example, I know everybody's talking about it, but I have to bring up Kanye because that's just like the biggest example. It is insane to me. There are people in my bloodline, like in my kingdom bloodline, like not, I'm talking about like you guys that are like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, can you imagine if Paul, right? I mean, we're, hi. <laughs> we're concerned with like, well, okay, let, let me just say it this way. I'm not all like into celebrities and I don't really know exactly what's going on. But what I do know is I put his new album on Spotify and I was working out and I think it just kind of shuffled all of Kanye's stuff. And all of a sudden I hear this song about like, some stuff. And I was like, I, this does not, this does not sound like Jesus is King. Like, I'm like, Oh my God. I mean, the N word is being thrown out there. He's talking about being with people. I don't, I was just like, I, well, I don't know if I'm understanding why Sally's all freaking out. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. It was, it was shuffling through his old music. 
How powerful is that? To hear what he was in and to hear what I had been hearing. Because I wasn't necessarily listening to his stuff before. But all of a sudden, I got a taste of it. And I was like, yeah! But instead, there's people going, nah, well, you were kind of bad three months ago. Paul killed you. We're, we're concerned about a, a song or his wife or whatever was going on in his family. Did you see me when I was not in him? Whatever. I mean, or what? I mean, Paul killed the church. He killed the family and then became the father to the family. He became the one that killed the family and then was teaching sons how to be fathers to a family. That's transformation. And I got Kanye talking about raise your sons up and protect them from pornography. That is a murderer turned into a father raising sons to be a father. And you got the religious community out here being like, no. What? I don't understand. I just think it's so, so it sounds like, yes, amen. But it's like when you're out in the community, it's just, it's like you, you talk about the answer, but it's almost like we've lost the simplicity of the gospel. Like I said, I mean, there are people uh, that have had to endure family members saying, I don't understand what's going on over there. Cause they're hearing mom, dad, aunts, uncles. I mean, it's just, we are weird to the world but it's not weird to him because jesus preached his disciples and goes that's not my mom and my brother anymore if you do the will of god you're my family so it's actually the people knocking on the door who aren't doing the will of the father that are getting the loudest and we're over here all meek and like i don't i don't know if i should say anything but we're the ones that need to get loud like jesus did because that is running rampant in our communities so the reason why I've got to have late night talks with coworkers is because they don't really want to have anything to do with what they've known churches, but they don't realize that all church, even the word church, you guys, we are so messed up. Church, Jesus never said the word church, never came out of his mouth. Never once. Church was never known. Church wasn't anything. But all we know today is if you're a Christian, you go to church, and this is what church is. And even commentaries are saying that Paul was a killer of Christians. Even that is wrong terminology. We weren't called Christians either. So, so, so you got a, you got a huge group of people saying Christian, they're literally like demoralizing themselves every time they say that when you really know what Christian means. Follower of the evil one. I'm a Christian. We don't even know what we're doing because we're so ingrained with the traditions of man which is is earthly bloodline lineage and not tapping in by the revelation of the father through who he is that is able to press us into the answer. And then when you go and you say something about the answer it's like and it's all over the word. It's all over the word. By the spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Father. What does adoption mean? I remember when the Lord gave us the revelation about just being a vessel of the spirit of adoption. It doesn't mean that we're the mom and dad. It means that we carry a mantle to release the, the, the revelation that by the spirit of adoption, we could actually be family beyond what anybody has ever taught you before. 
because I'm not just a pastor. I'm not just a preacher. I'm a mother. And, and all of a sudden that gets weird. Well, your job title is this. My job title is mother. And I got a lot of people. So, so, so it's, it's the heart of being able to dispense this, the, the, the revelation of the spirit of adoption because the whole New Testament is by the spirit of adoption. Same thing is to say by the spirit of revelation. Paul, by the spirit of revelation, he got knocked off a horse and had a vision. And we get weird about talking about dreams and visions. And you, you, so, so there's this... Um, He's going to get into it about what Jesus did. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to just break down and honor the Old Testament for how much they honored blood. Think about it. The Old Testament was all about the blood. Every calf that was severed. I mean, it was blood was the only way to get clean. Your bloodline is what, what, what allowed you to be a priest. The blood was so important, but we can't today on the other side of the cross get stuck at getting out of slavery and still being like in our blood, meaning my bloodline, my earthly, my traditions, my parents, my family, whatever that is. But because because by the spirit of adoption, I've been given revelation by something that's greater and I'm taking his blood and I'm, and I'm applying it to everything that he spoke was good. Everything about the Old Testament was about the blood. And everything about the New Testament is about the blood. It's just in the Old Testament, it was about your blood. In the New Testament, it's about his blood. And so when we say family is the answer, we're talking about, to me, that banner. The banner is family. But to me, what that means is that the banner is blood. The banner is his blood. It's the blood-stained banner. The standard is his blood was shed so that I can be part of a family by the spirit of adoption. I no longer am subject to my bloodline. Some people have a hard time with that because they want to be subject to their bloodline because they love their parents. And that's amazing. But there are some things I don't want in my bloodline. So what if I said to you, you do not have to deal with diabetes. I'm listening to coworkers talk about how they were raised. And so that means that that's what's happening to them. And I'm here to say that if you truly believe by the spirit of adoption, I have gotten a new bloodline. That means anything that was inserted into my natural bloodline, all of a sudden, I, by the spirit of adoption, Jesus' bloodline comes in. I'm transformed, and all of a sudden, I'm walking out of his bloodline. And that's a moment-by-moment thing. That's not a one-time prayer. You know, if you're like, yeah, but I still got this, you know, whatever. Apply the blood. Activate it. Choose it. Release it. Because that's what he's saying. He's saying you have access to the third heaven through him. That's what he, that's why the veil was torn. One drop of blood. In his blood is all of the language. In his blood is all of the sound. In his, I mean, in his blood breaks sound waves. It's his blood. And it's not some far off thing. It's in me. So when he said, what's the standard? But the word became flesh. It's activated now in us. And so when you're understanding that, when he, when we're talking about family's answer, we're talking about blood. And do we believe that his blood is what binds us? And it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to say, well, I mean, I hear it all over the community, Christian community. We're brothers in Christ. Have dinner one time and all of a sudden, nah, not you. (laughs) Right? I mean, I, so, but what does it mean then? 
Because if you look now, now read the New Testament with this revelation. What was the New Testament built on? Not blood families. Meaning like not, there's not, there's nothing in the New Testament that says, well, and then this family gathered and then this family gathered. That's why we're crazy when you have Missy and Tyler that go, oh my gosh, we got this huge table and everybody's coming over for Thanksgiving. That's not normal. We grew up with, we need to be over here. You go over there. We high five on Sunday. We're rubbing shoulders on Sunday. How do you then work out the scriptures, iron sharpens iron? On Sunday, with a high five and a glance? That is not sharpening anything. Have Thanksgiving dinner over at Tyler and Missy's and let's see what happens. That is covenant. But you work your, come on, you get sharpened and you rub and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, I did, that's not in me, right? But when you get to just stay in your tradition, I get to stay the way that I want. I get to pick and choose what lineage I like and I'll take that characteristic, but no, not that. And I get to stay over here. All of a sudden you apply the blood and you're in the family of God and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and you have to be transformed because it is no longer your blood, it's his blood, right? It's difficult. That's why there is only 25. I don't care, Gideon. I mean, read the gospel. Jesus had 12 and they were absolute misfits. I mean, he even said, you are not ready. He was out. He leaves, empowers them with the Holy Ghost. And what happened? Think about it. What happened? The family of God was birthed with people dwelling in a room. And then it just disperses from there. And you never hear about blood family again. It's just Jesus's lineage and it's done. And all of a sudden you start seeing spiritual fathers and mothers arise on the scene. Apostle Junior, there was no women leaders. There's pastors in the New Testament that are female. You got Lois and Eunice. They're, they're, they're talking about all this. I'm not just talking about female, but I'm talking about the times that people were pointed out. It was by their mantle. It was by the spirit. I've had people say, who said you get to be that? I, but have you read the New Testament? I never see a commissioning service happen. I never, I, Paul got knocked off his high horse and all of a sudden, God, uh, yeah, that was his ordination. That was his mantling commissioning. And all of a sudden he becomes a spiritual father to Timothy. That's raising a church, a kingdom family. That's it. Can, how many of you have been knocked off your high horse? If anybody comes and says, who are you? Be like, hey, did you see how high of my horse I was on? After that fall, I was blind. But now I see by the spirit of adoption. You go and you get your Timothy and you begin to raise them up so they can go and transform the world. That's the New Testament. And we are living, breathing, walking that answer. We get to be that answer. It's by that revelation that we get to walk out that answer. Amen. So this whole, this whole night, I feel like what's happening in the spirit is, is an invitation for recalibration to family, to the standard of family. And there's really, I mean, it's, it's like it's been debated and it's been, you know, but now is the time to realign to the standard of family, to reconcile the things that we've believed with the standard of family. And when you 
part of what is is behind tonight is is a question was thrown out there because we've been pressing in the family and it and it when you press in the family it's like she said you start to rub and there's friction and and you're being tested to failure and weakness is being exposed and all these things are happening and the question came up if family's the answer then why is it so destructive why why does it seem so detrimental if this is the answer okay and this is this is something that you just have to you just have to lay your thoughts on the table and say lord just snap my thoughts into alignment because this is something that is so important to understand it's so simple it's all over the scripture but it's yet it's so difficult for people to understand or to walk out because when you when you receive that spirit of adoption and you become part of God's family for eternity, then basically what he does is that he demands that you stay in the fire long enough to see what happens when it's done, when it's finished. Because part of what the the design is in in covenant and family is by design, he, he injects you into a covenant so that when the fire comes, you can't just run off. Blood covenant. Right? Because if I'm not fam, if I got no ties to you, if I don't like anything at any given moment, I could just walk away. Mm-hmm. That's why we got church, church shopping. Well, what, what feels good? Who has the best songs and who gets done in the quickest amount of time? Right? I mean, this is why this is right. Well, I, I want to shop and look in the phone book for the one that ends after an hour because I don't want to have to rub shoulders or be transformed. I just want to put in my check marks. So when you're in God's family, by design, he says that I'm going to keep you in the fire long enough. So listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is this is so critical. Think about the question. If family's the answer, why is it so hard? Right? Go back to when the enemy comes. And James it says, mm-hmm. when the trials come. Right? I mean, just think about that. Yeah. If any part of your thought process is, well, I'm a Christian, so things should be better, easier, more simple. I mean, whatever. If you think any of that stuff, then somebody preached the wrong gospel to you. Okay, second Corinthians chapter four, we'll start in verse seven, because one of the things that we have to understand as the family of God, part of the thing that he designed is that pain is a platform. So we have to get to a place to where we genuinely, we, we understand pain differently, differently. We look at it differently. We understand trials different. Listen to this treasures in jars of clay. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can so relate to this. And the reason why God will use somebody in his family 
that he's raised up to a place of maturity that says that I can be afflicted in every way, but I'm not crushed. Wait till we get, wait till we get to the end. So you can welcome affliction because it's not going to crush you. Affliction doesn't matter anymore because you won't be crushed by it. You can be perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in your body the death of Jesus. If, if we get stuck on the death, then we're missing it. If you get stuck on the, the persecution, then you're missing it. Because God put you in a family so that he can keep you in the fire long enough so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For he who live are always being given over to death. For we who live... That's, that's everybody in here. For we who live are always being given over to death. So just make it up in your mind that when God adopts you into his family, he's going to continually give you over to death. <laughs> come on. Come on. And the sooner we understand that as mature sons and daughters, it's for his sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Let's fast forward to verse 16. So we do not lose heart through our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. You, I mean, as sons and daughters, we're on a different level. We're just on a different level, right? My, my outer can be given over to death continually for his sake, but my inner self is being renewed every day. Yeah. And that's, that's a son or a daughter. That's your inheritance. My father is going to give me over to death continually every day. So think about that. When the persecution, when the trials come, you're like, that's okay because on my inner self, my father's renewing me every day. But I got to stay in the fire long enough because in the first verse, when it, when, when, oh, here comes a little affliction in every way, I'm out. Being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing you for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. Amen. Let's go to John 19. This is a critical, you gotta, you have to, you have to understand this. As a son and a daughter, you have to not only understand it, I don't know if maybe that's, that's confronting a certain mindset that you may have had, or maybe it's not, maybe that's, you've been, you're good, you're on point, but it's not only enough to understand it, but you got to be able to walk it out when the persecution comes. As a son, as a daughter. But if we're family, why is it so destructive? We have to change the question. We have to change. We can't even think like that. We have to ask ourselves, when it comes, what do I need to focus on the constant renewal of my inner man day by day? What is the joy set before me? What is the it is finished in my situation? John chapter 19, the death of Yeshua. After this, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. 
A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Verse 30, when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As a mature son, he knew the persecution that he was facing, the affliction that he was facing, he knew that that was just part of the process on the way to him fulfilling his destiny. And when he said, it is finished, it's the word teleos. It means it's always been finished. It's finished now, and it's always going to be finished. And in the kingdom, as a mature son, he knew that there's no unfinished business for a son or a daughter. For a mature son, for a mature daughter, there's no unfinished business. So when you encounter persecution or you encounter affliction, that's just part of the process. And by design in the family of God, he wants to keep you in the fire long enough to where you can say it's finished. And Yeshua knew as a son of God that I cannot go as as his son sent to this place, as an apostle sent to this place to make this place look like the place where I came from. I have to finish what he started. When he was in Gethsemane and he was praying and he's sweating blood and he knew what was coming and his family stood in front of him and said, not you. He said, get out of my way. Because I I have to finish my father's business. Talk about follow through. We've been talking about follow through, right? We've been talking about that. And Yeshua followed through. He finished. He said, it is finished. It's done. And in that bloodline, we have to also understand that when we face persecution, it's already been finished. It's already done. When we face, when we face affliction, our affliction is not even ours. It's for his sake, and it's already been handled. Because it's for his sake. My life, literally, when I lay down my life in the, in the minuscule amount of persecution that we faced... It's for his glory. It's for his sake. And we haven't even, I mean, we don't even know persecution in this country. We don't, our, our level of persecution, like AT said, we go, well, I'm going to go try this church and they don't, they don't let me do this or they don't, they don't like how I did that or whatever, or they, you know, I don't like the music. I mean, that's not even persecution. That's just, that's just selfish. Like, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know. I mean, that's not even, we're talking about a family of God, a priesthood with no start and no beginning, no end. We're not talking about just check the box and go to church. What are we really doing? I had a conversation with somebody who deeply cares about us and they were asking us, well, they came in there like really concerned. I'm really concerned for you guys because, you know, there's hardly anybody there when we go. And, you know, and it was funny because he was saying, you know, maybe you just, you know, what is the formula to just grow your church? You know, how do you, maybe guys should get some lights, you know, do like, get 
get the the smoke thing. I'm dead serious. Dead serious. And total total out of a heart for us. And I got to explain what what God is doing with us and what he's called us to and what the gospel is about. And this is what I told him. I said, the, the, the way that you're describing what you know to be church is, is the church that they go to. And I said, if your city was leveled and that building was gone, would you still have church? He said, no. And I said, I'm, I'm after the things that are unseen because if Flagstaff was leveled, this family yes. would still be there for each other. We'd still gather. We'd still praise the Lord. Yeah. We'd still worship. Because yeah. mm-hmm. we got our father's business to do. We got to finish. Mm-hmm. We have to follow through. And we have to understand that as the family of God, it's by design. He inserts you into a covenant. So when the fire comes, you can't leave. Yeshua himself said, if it's your will, let this cup pass. But he knew I have to finish. I mean, just let it, it is so freeing. When you just let that, when you let that blood just wash over your mindset, it's so freeing because you can encounter affliction and you just know, you just know. People can say, why are you so joyful in the midst of all this fire? People asked her that. What is wrong with you? They were irritated. Why are you laughing in the midst of all this misery? What is wrong with you? I was blind and now I see. (laughs) But that's a word right there about no unfinished business. Because that's part of this family's DNA. There's so many that want to say it's not a big deal. We don't need to go there. But they're avoiding the persecution. Persecution and it is finished is everything about your flesh and soul dies so that he can be glorified. So that his bloodline can can be exemplified and not our bloodline can be exemplified. That's why there is no unfinished business. That's why it is, it is finished. And I want, and I, I, I do want to just go back to make sure that I'm clear. And I know I said this because Jesus is the one that fulfilled. He didn't eradicate it. So when I'm talking about blood versus kingdom blood, that doesn't mean blood families are no longer existent. Right? But you need to view your blood family based on the kingdom's perspective. So when I so I want I want to be literal right now. So I'm talking about kingdom family, and we have family lines here, the Deck family. But they now associate with one another by what? By their bloodline? No. Still also by Jesus's bloodline. So the point isn't about it. What I'm saying is, is it's neither here nor there, neither Greek nor Jew, neither male nor female. Doesn't matter if your blood, cousin, best friend, it doesn't matter if you are bound by him. So when I talk about my parents, it's not that my parents all of a sudden don't matter, but what does matter is whether or not we are in the kingdom together and bound by a greater blood. And if we're not, then I have to follow God's tradition, not man's tradition. If they are, then we start following his tradition together. I just want to make sure that I'm 
making that clear. There's so many families that are in here, the Garland's older kid, our kids. I just would, I, the, the, what he's after, just like Lois and Eunice with Timothy, that they're, the way that they raised their children was based off his blood, not their own blood. So it was no longer based on my lineage and what I have, but I have nothing to offer because I am devoted to lay my life down to have to have no unfinished business because I'm going to let his blood be applied to everything in my life. So that when I'm able to hand the baton or raise up the next generation, whether what I'm saying is, is whether blood or blood, it's neither here nor there. So I just wanted to make sure that I, that I said that, that it's not old versus new, but, but there, the only difference is whether or not the spirit of revelation has come by the spirit of adoption, Right meaning it doesn't matter anymore before it's all based on that it's all based on Jesus not based on anything else yeah so just think about this when you when you face persecution affliction whatever you face you can know that when it's finished Yeshua didn't just die on the cross. He died because something greater was coming. So in the midst of your persecution, whatever that is, you can have joy knowing that part of your DNA is that the Holy Spirit can be released into whatever situation. That's that's going to be way greater than whatever. That's why he said, this is just light affliction compared to the future glory. And we have to understand that as sons and daughters, just like Yeshua, they saw him die on a cross, but he knew, he knew. Everybody thought, this is your king, the one that's hanging there dead on a cross. Right? I, I counted an honor for his sake when somebody comes and mocks and says, this is what, this is what you're about. This, this is what you have to show for ministry. Because it's it's been it's been that persecution that mockery has been there. This this is what you're doing. <laughs> it don't matter. And yet there's a hunger. There's beginning a hunger. Why? Because spearheads and forerunners chose to say, "I want to flow with His revelation." Now He's having meetings where He just had one on Friday, where they're beginning to honor Him and say. That we're realizing that this is no longer what we can continue to do because it, it is about, it's not about pastoring, it's about fathering. People are starting to gain that revelation and now they're starting to seek him out. You've been doing this. How did you do it? Because there is, it, it, there is a cost. No unfinished business. You're, you're hanging on the cross. That's why you can have the joy because he did die for what? For something that's greater. There's always something that's coming that's that's greater in that. Something's going to come from that squeezing, right? And it, like we said in the New Testament, what came from it? It was the growth that was no, there was no bound, there was no boundary. There was no, there was no, it was just a, it was a releasing and it was something that was so much greater. And I'm saying that because in the practical, like what Missy was talking about, we are in the month of Sheshvan, which is about the flood and about getting at roots, no unfinished business. We're going around the mountain again, a little bit higher perspective than last year, but you're coming around again and there's going to be some roots that are going to be exposed in your bloodline. 
that he's going to say, I want no unfinished business. So take care of that. So I know that she won't mind if I use her as an example, but Missy, the struggle that she was dealing with was failure. The revelation that I gave her was Jesus was the biggest failure known to man. In the world's eyes, he failed at everything. You're, here's the thing. People are so concerned about failure. Here's what I'm concerned about, your connection to the father. He was only about his father's business. That's what matters. Because if you're so concerned with failure, then the other option is, is then you're going to be so concerned with success. What's the difference? It's not about success or failure. It's about my connection to him. And in that is my joy. It's not based on the circumstances because what? then all of a sudden we would be bound up by what success. Well, I don't want to have the accolades of man anyways. And I don't want anything defining what success is. So if you're concerned about being a failure, then you have to be concerned about being a successful. And what's your definition of that? Your definition should be based on the revelation by the spirit of adoption that he, I am in a family. And in that identity, that's the, what I'm, I'm saying that because that's the kind of roots that are being exposed. That's the flood that's coming over your life. Missy said, do you feel like you're drowning? This isn't some circumstantial thing like, oh, do you feel like you're drowning? Oh, I'm drowning. You want to know why I'm drowning? Because the tape was lifted. He said, stop with the job description. You're not a pastor. You're not an apostle. Stop with the job description. He rips the tape off, throws me in an ocean. I don't like it. I don't want that much freedom. It's easier for me to build for Pharaoh. I know how to do that. It's structured. I'm a punished daughter. Get your, get your schedule right. Do this. Do that. That's success. Now all of a sudden he's like, uh, that's not success. Wait, what? I thought that was successful. Nope, not really. Actually, it's a fit. It's fit. You're, it, it doesn't make any sense. Wait, what? I might give you the shoreline, but you're just out in the ocean. And you would think, ah, who's that girl over there talking about her job description, all this freedom, being a mother? It's horrible. It's the worst. It's absolutely the worst. Why? Because the flood comes. I'm drowning in his presence. What would happen if you had leaders in a city drowned in his presence instead of drowned in job descriptions? And I get it. We do. We have offering about to come. We got, we got tithe. We got bills. I get paid to do what I just said. Why? Because I need to overturn this community to be able to have the ability because that is my full-time destiny, just like Paul over Timothy, right? Double wages. It talks about that in the New Testament to be able to overturn a region, to be able to unlock people in their destiny, to be able to release them and grant them permission to kick that guy in the face. And nobody's kicking anybody in the face while we're operating under job descriptions and Sunday morning programs. I would hope that you would not want to pay me just to put a couple of bullet points on a piece of paper. But what you're after is a mother's heart to unlock you to be greater than me. That I would not be intimidated by sons and daughters who would actually be more awesome. Right? That's what all this is about. Men. I'm just saying. We're in Sheshvan and the flood is horrible because you're drowning, but we're drowning in his presence. And it's and it's against what the world has known. And it's against what we've known because we're just destruction is coming. The persecution in the sense of you're hanging on a cross, death is coming. Everything I've ever known is dying so that what? Something greater can come. Amen. Amen.